Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Aaron, for inviting me. Um, you, you, he, he texted me and asked me to pray about coming. And um, I just want to preach and I want to share, so I want to say, yeah. But um, I did take time to pray about it, and I, I want to be led of the Spirit in all things. And it's the easy thing that we all say so much, but it's the tr- one of the truest things, that we want to be led of the Lord in all things. And um, it, what good is it for me to get up here and share a bunch of stuff, even good stuff, if it's not led of the Lord, it's, um, there's just not much value in it. So it's my prayer that um, I really believe, I'm confident that what I have for you this morning, the Lord has, has put in my heart, and it's been confirmed many times already this morning. Um, the Lord doesn't have to do that, but that's one of the goodnesses of God that he does that, because I'll tell you, this is a fearful thing. Um, not, I'm not afraid to stand up here and talk to you. I've done that so many times in my job and previous to this and, and now for the couple of years of being in full-time ministry. It's not that so much as it is I'm in a position to speak for God, not, not to speak about him, but to speak for him. And there's a, there's a heavy weight of responsibility that goes with that. Um, but even that is light if you're in the Lord. Um, if you're just up here to try to make a profit or to, to gain followers, um, I suggest you watch out. But if you're here to honor the Lord, to, to speak for him, to be used by him, just a willing vessel in his hands, um, it's, it's even, even the weightiness of that becomes light. Remember, his, his yoke is easy and his, his burden is light. So, um, <clears throat> I'm not really sure where to start with this. Um, I want to speak to you about God's mercy this morning. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of topics that if you've been in the church for any period of time, um, you're going to find that there's things that, that are taught incorrectly. Um, or maybe they get the nuts and bolts of it right, but the, there's just no life in it. And, I mean, just look at the religious scape around us, landscape. How many denominations are there? Everybody's got their own taste, their own flavor. This is what I think. This is what I believe. Um, Isaiah 29, 13 says <clears throat> that their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Honestly, I don't really care about the commandment, man. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of hearing what men have to say about what they think about this or that. I want to hear what the Spirit of God has to say about it. If, if I'm going to listen to some preaching, whether it's um, a, a recording that I've recorded and I'm listening to or, or sitting in a service like this or a teaching, I'm interested in what God has to say about it. And I want to hear what the Spirit of God is going to say through somebody. So... Um, you know, mercy, grace, even the love of God, these are things that have been distorted so much over the years where there is a right and proper understanding and yet man comes in with his methods and his ideas and he begins to try to teach something and bring a principle to it. And principles are good. God's principles work. But if all it is is mere principles and just academics, then we end up with with these people way over here and these people way over here, and all of them are missing the point. They're all missing what the Lord would have for us. 
So I don't, I don't even want to bring a, a balance. I'm not worried about balance. I want to bring what is right. Amen. I want to bring truth. And that can only come by the Spirit of God. And so, you know, some, some will say, you know, I'm sure you've heard, maybe you've heard the term, it's an old school term, greasy grace, right? It's you can just do as you please and God will forgive you. And that's not what grace is. But because of that, you got a group over here who won't touch it. They won't even say the word grace. And I believe mercy, God's mercy, is one of these topics that we can be afraid of. But it's so important. If you don't understand the mercy of God and the importance of the mercy of God in your life, you're not going to you're not going to be able to handle much else cuz we need to come to him for his mercy. So before I, I really move on in this the title for this is just simply God's mercy. I want to pray, Lord, I, I just thank you for the word that you've given me. I pray for your anointing. God, I don't want this to be academics. I don't want anybody to leave here with with the thought of that was a nice sermon and Nothing more, Lord, but I pray that by your spirit you would pierce the hearts of each person here, Lord. Pierce my heart, Lord. God, I pray that this would minister to me first so that I can truly share your heart and that you can speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's God's mercy, I want you to know that first and foremost, this is a message for the church, if you've been born again. But it is a message for everybody. If you don't know the Lord, you can be saved and you can experience the great mercy of our God. He wants to pour it out upon you. He wants you to come to him. If we define mercy, we look at uh, the Hebrew and Greek um, terms for it. I just want to lay this down here before I go forward. The the Hebrew uh, word for for mercy means uh, to be kindly or a kindness, loving kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, piety. I'm sorry, not piety, pity. The Greek word means compassion, whether human or divine. We're to show each other mercy, right? Kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with a desire to help them. I really like the Greek um, definition here. So we know that the Old Testament is written primarily Hebrew, the New Testament Greek. So understanding what is meant here. Our, our English uh, understanding of some of these words can come, sometimes become very um, uh, stunted. Very, uh, <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't mean much. But when we understand what was intended here, it's going to help fill this out a little bit. So to have a, a compassion or a kindness or a goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. Who is the miserable and the afflicted? Raise your hand. That was me, Right? And sometimes I still feel that way at times. But God has this goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted with a desire to help them. Do you know, do you believe that God loves you so much that he wants to help you? That he has a great desire, a great passion to reach out to you, to pour out his love upon you, to share his grace with you. The love that Lydia was talking about there, it it is so above and beyond what we can really comprehend. It is indescribable. But we have countless people who go through life feeling anything but loved. Whether it's they've got a bad idea or a wrong idea of love. They've had bad examples. And not just the world, in the church. How could... 
like Lydia said, why? Why would you love me? How could you love me? Because we have a wrong understanding. It seems to be in our human nature to believe things about God's nature that just aren't true. Whether it be because of bad relationships with parents growing up, a bad marriage, maybe an abusive husband or an unsubmissive wife, or just plain and simple wrong teaching about God. But the devil has done what he can from the beginning to distort our view of God. He, he, uh, he may not be able to take you to hell. Okay? You may be a born-again Christian who your faith is in the Lord, and he may realize, I'm not taking that one to hell, but I will distort their view of God. I will make them ineffective, whether it be through wrong understanding of God's nature. I mean, you read the book of Job, and one of the things that I pull out of that in the end, after all of that, Job says, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. There was something about God's nature that Job didn't quite understand, and God revealed it to him through all of that. If the devil can keep you in a place where you don't understand God and his nature, whether it be his love or his grace or his mercy or any other countless aspects and attributes of God, he can keep you ineffective. He can keep you from reaching others. He can keep you cowering in a dark corner of your bedroom, afraid to walk outside. Remember, this all started from the beginning, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that? Getting, getting Eve to question the nature of God. Did he really say that? Are you sure? He's still doing it today. Again, God's incredible love toward us is it, it's just simply indescribable. And yet, too often, all too often, we think of him as just being distant, unloving, Unknowable, cold, harsh, cruel. Do you know God loves you? That he wants to be merciful towards you? And we can, we can think, well, yeah, of course God loves me. I know the Bible says God is love. He kind of has to love me, right? But this isn't, this isn't like some begrudging love that God's like, well, okay, I mean, you're, you're kind of driving me nuts with all this sin. I, I guess I have to love. No. What he's saying is, I love you. Will you come to me? I desire you. Like Pastor Aaron was saying, your sin's not too much for him to handle. He, he's the one who can deal with it. Don't, don't sit there and think, well, if I get this right, and if I get this corrected, then I can go to God. You'll never get enough right. You'll never get enough corrected. The devil is just going to come with more condemnation. He's going to keep heaping it on you. And no matter what level of what, what level Christian you become, it'll never be good enough. <clears throat> God is desirous of our attention. And Do you know he wants your attention and your affection? He wants you to draw near. There's scripture that says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Not because... Well, if you make the first move, then maybe I'll do... No, I want relationship with you. I want to know you, and I want you to know me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what everything else will be added to you. You don't have to worry about all the other stuff. You don't have to worry about getting all your ducks in a row. Seek him. Draw near to him. Come with all of your ugliness, 
all of your sin, all of your faults and failures, and just say, here I am, God, this is what I am. Wash me, cleanse me, take me, have me, do as you please with me. God desires mercy. Mercy is the heart of God. Mercy for us and mercy in us towards our brethren. So, you know, we know the, the story of Jesus and how he, he tells the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I, deserve, I, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea 6, 6, which says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now, certainly God desires that we would be merciful to one another and with one another. But think about it. If he wants us to show mercy to one another, how much more does your heavenly Father want to rain down and shower mercy upon you? How much more does he desire that you would come to him with a humble heart to receive his mercy? Because we talk, I'm sure, I know Pastor Aaron, he loves grace. I love grace. We talk about grace. But it is an act of mercy that God would extend his grace to us. And if you won't bank on that mercy, you'll never get the grace. He wants to give the grace. These two are tied so closely together. It's a gracious act that God would be merciful, and it's a merciful act that he would give us his grace. I don't really know how to explain it any better than that. But if you won't approach him, you can't receive anything from him. He wants to give but he wants you to humble yourself and come to him. God longs to be merciful. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive you. It's like he's waiting. I'm waiting. I have forgiveness here. I'm ready to give it to you. Like if I have a gift for one of my kids, I have it and it's ready and it's waiting. I'm waiting for that day. I'm waiting for the moment that I can give it to him, right? God is waiting. He is ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. You have to call upon him. You have to seek him. You have to come with a willingness, with a humility, with a readiness to be sub- submitted to him. But you don't have all everything all figured out when you first come. You don't know, okay, if I do this and that, just be willing. Just be ready to give. Give all. I want to consider the mercy seat and the connection to Christ for a moment here. And there is a a very in-depth, exhaustive Bible study to be done on the mercy seat if you so choose. We're not doing that this morning. We just don't have time for it. Even if I had two hours, I don't have time for it. But there's a, a, a Greek word that's only used twice in the New Testament. Uh, hilasterion, I think is how you pronounce it. It doesn't matter. It's translated in Hebrews 9 as mercy seat. And it's translated in Romans 3.25 as propitiation. Okay, so the first scripture, Hebrews 9, 4 through 5, I'm going to read. Am I going too fast? You guys are able to get these up there? Okay. The Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold. So we know what the Ark of the Covenant looks like, basically, right? There's lots of 
artist renderings. If you've seen Indiana Jones, you've, you've seen <laughs> you've seen the the Ark of the Covenant. Um, so you know you've got this box with the lid, the poles, and on top are the the two angels, the cherubim facing each other with their wings facing each other. Okay. So the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the man in manna. Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Okay? So this lid of the ark with these angels represented, it made up a representation of the mercy seat. This is just a, what we saw, what we see, what was in the temple is just a shadow of what exists in heaven. Okay? Then looking at Romans 3.25, it says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. That's a big word. Propitiation. We don't really use that word too often. But propitiation in our English uh, language means the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. Do you want the favor of God? Come to the mercy seat. That's where it's to be found. In Christ. He is the propitiation. In a sense, he is the mercy seat. Don't this is, this is it's, it's hard for our human minds sometimes to, to break away from this. We think of, okay, righteousness is something God gives me and I have. And holiness is something God gives me and then I have. Um, mercy is something that is given to me. and I, All of these things are not a thing, they are a person. Yes. Christ. Yes. Jesus. If you have him, if you hold on to him, then you have righteousness, you have holiness, you have uh, the, the propitiation, you have mercy, you have grace. It is all not just found in him, it is him. Hold on to him. Have him. We enjoy the favor of God because we are in Christ. His blood has not just covered us, but it has washed us. When God looks upon the believer, now he sees his son. Think of that, that cover that makes up that mercy seat that I just described of the ark. It's a covering. We are in Christ. We are covered by him. When God looks at us, when you're born again and you are in Christ, remember John 15 says, abide in the vine, abide in Christ. If we are in him, when God looks down, he sees his son. That's what he sees. That's what our faith is in. Not our goodness. Not our good works. All those things will come. They will follow. But it's not earning anything. It's not keeping anything. It is Christ alone. Faith in him. There is no righteousness you will ever be able to do that will be good enough for God except that you are in Christ and he sees Christ's righteousness all over you. It is our role to just stay, remain in him, to just abide in him, to, to just respond to him, to move with him. If he goes over there, I go over there. If he waits right here, I'm going to wait right here. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strengths, right? 
Wait upon the Lord, that means bind yourself to him. It's not just a time reference of, okay, when, is this gonna, when are we, we going to get moving here? No. It includes the time part of it. But you're not just doing nothing. You are binding yourself to the Lord. You are in him. And he is in you. So I, I pulled this definition out. I want to read this real quickly. This is from Thayer's Greek, Greek lexicon. It's describing this, uh, uh, this word a little bit deeper, this um, Greek word, hilasterion, that is translated mercy seat or propitiation. It reads, The well-known cover of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies which was sprinkled with the blood of the expiatory victim. Expiate means to atone for. Uh, Sprinkled with the blood of the expiatory victim on the annual day of atonement, this rite signifying that the life of the people, the loss of which they had merited by their sins, was offered to God in the blood as the life of the victim, and that God, by this ceremony, was appeased and their sins were expiated. So, um, we earned... The right to die, right? Our sins, that's what we've earned. That's about all we can earn. But in the Old Testament, once a year that they would come with the blood of bulls and goats and they would sprinkle that. Now, Christ has done it once for all. In the true sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary. That our sins were expiated or atoned for. Hence, the lid of expiation or the propitiatory to cover sins or to pardon that Christ be sprinkled with his own blood was truly that which the cover or mercy seat had been typically the sign and pledge of expiation. The Old Testament, so all these laws, all of these things, all of these ceremonies, what was so lost on the people was it was all pointing towards Christ and what he would do, what he would finish. The earthly ark was a mere copy of what is in the heavenly sanctuary. What the priests performed annually in the Holy of Holies was merely a representation of what Christ performed once for all time in that heavenly sanctuary. The blood of bulls and goats offered by the high priests was merely a representation of what Christ did in the heavenly sanctuary, offering his own blood. Consider that Jesus fulfilled all the aspects of the Old Testament sacrifice of atonement. It's done. And he, we see in this, we see that he is the high priest. We see that he is the atoning sacrifice. And we see that he is the mercy seat. Christ is your favor. He is your mercy seat. Abide in the vine. Truly live in Christ and by Christ. Go to him with your weakness and let him be strong. This is not, get it out of your mind that I have to make something happen. Let him be strong. Abide in him and let him do the work. All good fruit comes out of that. There's an inward uh, affecting of the heart. Um, Ezekiel, 30, uh, Ezekiel 36, 27. He says, I will put my spirit in you. I will give you a new heart. And I will cause you 
to walk in my statutes. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a new heart, and now you better go do this, that, and the other thing. He's changing the heart. Philippians 2.13 says he works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do you you see the work of Christ? Do you see the work of the cross? Something that I once desired so strongly to have, I no longer desire it like I did. Why is that? Because he's working in me to will. He's changed my heart. The cross has had an effect. And now, I'm not doing that anymore. This thing that I once felt so powerless against, I hated it and I could never find, like, God, help me, why can't I ever overcome this? Well, it is the mercy of God that he would give you the grace to overcome. It is, it is the work, the, the way of the cross, the effect of the cross in your life to cause you to not only change the mind and not want it anymore, but to live it out and to be the very thing that God wants you to be. God already knows your helpless state, and you know what? He still desires to have fellowship with you. God knows your pride, and you know what? He still desires to have fellowship with you. God knows your weakness, your brokenness, and your great sadness. He knows all your faults and all your great failures. And guess what? He still wants to have fellowship with you. Humble yourself at the mercy seat. Come to Jesus. How is it that we get born again, and there's this death that happens, and then this resurrection, and then we just kind of go on with life as usual, thinking how we've always thought, and it's like, that was a great work, but then somewhere along the line, or maybe you walked in great victory and great power, and then you got caught up in the cares of life, or there was something that you just couldn't seem to get victory over, you start to give in, you start to give up. No, keep going back to the mercy seat. Keep going back to Jesus. Keep going back to the one who won it all, who finished it all at the cross, and who's the one who can affect it in you and bring it to life in you. It's not enough that we just die. There must be resurrection life that follows. He's, by the cross, he's going to bring a death, but then there's going to be a life that springs up and springs forward, and it's going to be powerful, and you're going to overcome, and you're going to walk in victory. The promise is there. We just, somewhere along the line, we stopped going back to the mercy seat. The devil wants you to believe you can't approach him. We can approach him. We must approach him. Your very life depends on it. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of time of need. (laughs) I need as much grace of God as I can get and more. And it's found at his throne. Boldly, boldly go to the throne of grace. He doesn't say timidly, sheepishly, maybe, God, if you have time for me, possibly listen to me. I'm not good enough. I failed too much. I don't know if I can. I'm I'm one of the worst when it comes to this. Oh, Lord, I failed again. I did this again. Get out the whip and... He doesn't want to beat me, so I better hit myself a few times. 
He wants me to come and immediately be restored. I better go and whimper in the corner for a while and sulk and cry over my failure. I, I do this. And if I do it, then I know other people do it. It's hard to overcome that. That's the flesh. That's the flesh wanting to earn something. That's the devil saying, you're not good enough. Look what you did. You angered God. You failed him again. What is wrong with you? You are so stupid. How could you keep doing this? Those are the thoughts that have gone through my mind over and over. And the whole time God's saying, would you please just come back to me? Just cry out. Yes, we deal with consequences. I'm not saying that you'll never have to deal with consequences for our sinful actions. That's just life. But God doesn't want you to remain over there cowering in a corner. He doesn't want you to hide from him. Come into the light. Let him examine you. Bear yourself before him. If you will not approach for any reason, you deny yourself access to the very mercy that is needed. Consider that. If you won't come, the very thing you need to be restored, you're denying yourself. You're choosing to reject it. I'm offering this to you. You can have it. Just come. You don't need to earn it. There's nothing you need to to do other than just repent. Just change your mind. Come to me. And the, the, the strength you need to stop doing that, I'll give it to you. The prideful, they say, what need do I have for mercy? Right? False humility says, I failed so badly, I must suffer. And then just simple wrong understanding. God is cruel and uncaring. He's distant. He wants to punish me. It is All of that is lies from the enemy. Let me ask you this. What keeps us from God's mercy? Is it our sin? Is it our sin that keeps us from his mercy? It's not our sin. It's the embracing of our sin and the resistance to humble ourselves. It's, it's the pride that crops up. It's the false humility that says I have to do this or that. If I want my sin, if I want to keep it and hold on to it, well, then you're not going to really be able to see, receive God's mercy because you're just going to keep going after that thing. Jonah 2.8 says, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. I like how the, the King James says it, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. You know, if you're just going to willfully, wantonly embrace your sin, or you're going to be prideful and stubborn, or you're just going to live in this wrong thinking, this, this false humility, I'm, I'm number one offender when it comes to false humility. You are forsaking your own mercy. What is there for you, you are turning your back on it. It's not a God problem. It's an, it's an us problem. Um, the Amplified. I, I like reading the Amplified occasionally. It says, Those who pay regard to faults, useless, and worthless idols forsake their own source of mercy and loving kindness. You are choosing to reject the mercy of God. Do you embrace your lusts? Do you embrace your religious persona? See, we like to make it all about the ugly sins. But what about our our religiosity? The efforts that I put into looking good, washing the outside of the cup, 
when the inside is just all full of wretched dead men bones, right? Whether it be legalism or license or anything between, the same problem lies at the root, the flesh. The worst Gentile worshiping false gods with perverse sexual practices was no worse off than the Pharisee practicing strict legalistic religion. See, it looks good, it sounds good, so it must be good. No, God's looking at the heart. This is all about faith. I know, I know it can rub somebody the wrong way that I might suggest that religious practices could be considered sin, but anything not in faith is sin. Faith in Christ. Now, we might get some things wrong, but if your faith is in Christ, God's going to work those things out. He's going to deal with those things. You're not on your way to hell because you, you, you believe something a little wrongly or you, you don't understand. You, maybe you're, you feel a little bound up in something. But if your faith is in Christ, all of that is dealt with. All of it's taken care of and it will be taken care of. <clears throat> but anything apart from, Christ, uh, apart from faith is, from, is sin. Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. This, this scripture has become a favorite of mine in the last couple of months. Because I, I, I might have shared this the last time I was here. But I, I, had, I had this moment where I just, it was, it was not, not like some great sin, but it's just something that's been frustrating me and nagging me and, it's been an ongoing thing. And I'm like, Lord, I, I did this again. I'm so frustrated with myself. The, the, the law of averages says I should get this right at least once, or once, once in a while, right? But it seems like time and time again I fall on my face and the Lord instantly convicted me and said, you think that there's still some good in your flesh, don't you? I'm never going to be able to rehabilitate this flesh. You're never going to rehabilitate the flesh. Any good that you think is coming from it, if anything, it's just self-righteous. The flesh needs to be crucified. The cross needs to bring an end to that flesh. The only good in me is Christ. Now, I, I know we can argue about what good means, and I remember a guy at work said, oh, you're a good guy. I'm thinking to myself, you don't know me. But... Uh, there is nothing that will please the Lord in this flesh. Romans 8, 7 and 8, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you see how hopeless it is for us apart from Christ? Do you see why it's so important that we understand the mercy that is available to us and that we keep going back to that mercy seat, that we keep receiving from him the grace that is needed? Call upon God. Do you struggle? Are you hurting? Do you know the pride that's in you? Do you keep dealing with some besetting sin that you just can't get victory over? Do you hate life? Do you hate yourself? Whatever it is, call upon God. He is abundant in mercy. He wants to pour out his grace upon you. Call upon him. And this call upon, this is not some, 
Oh, Lord, please hear me. This is strong, bold, not demanding, not commanding. The, the um, definition of call upon is to call out to, to invite or summon for help, accosting a person that is met. Accosting is a strong word. It means to approach and speak to someone in a challenging or aggressive way. Now, I'm not saying that we demand things from God or that we command him somehow, but he is saying, don't come to me sheepish, come to me boldly. Come to me with confidence, knowing that I love you and that I have a good gift for you, that I want to pour out my mercy on you, I want to give you my grace, I want to change you, and I want to give you the power to overcome. Don't approach him half-heartedly. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Let me ask you, do you believe God or not? I didn't ask if you believe in God. Do you believe him? That was the problem with Israel. And they wouldn't cross the Jordan into the promised land because they saw the giants. Not that they didn't believe in God. They believed in God. They just didn't believe him. There's a difference here. Um, (laughs) Scripture says, you believe in God, great, wonderful. The demons believe in him too. Do you believe him? Do you have faith? If he says it, he doesn't just mean it. He'll do it. Come to the Lord with force. Not Again, not demands, not presumptuous, but with boldness, with desperation. Have you ever been desperate something? I just... I'm so thirsty, i got to get a, a drink of water. I, I'll stop wherever I have to. I'll get water wherever I can. I'm so hungry. I'm, I'm, I'm hangry, right? That's the term. Anne knows what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I just got to eat. I don't care what it is. It could be something I hate. It's food. I got to eat. Desperation. You become bold. I'm going to go find something to eat. I'm going to go find something to drink. I'm bold. I'm desperate for your love, God. I'm desperate for your grace. I'm desperate for your mercy. Because without these, I just cannot go on. Without you, oh God, I cannot go on. Do you have this kind of desperation? To um, bring this down, to uh, uh, bring this to an end, I want to encourage you to, to whatever, whatever lies the enemy has been speaking to you, whatever your flesh has been stirred up in you, whatever you've been believing, whatever you've been struggling with, you feel like you can't approach God, you can't, you're not good enough, lay all that down. The, as always, I know the altars are always open in this place. Come and seek the Lord this morning. Whatever the mercy is that you need, come to the mercy seat. Come to Christ. The price has been paid. It's already done. All victory is there in Christ. He's finished it all. We just need to come. We just need to come to the mercy seat. We need to come and receive grace. We need to start living it and walking in it. Believing it. There's one, one final thing I want to hit on here. Mercy and truth. 
These two go together. I was actually surprised how many scriptures there were. I never made the connection before. But without mercy, truth is cold and harsh. Without mercy, what is truth really, what good does it really do for me if there's no mercy? Because I am lost. I am in need of mercy. When I come to the Lord, I am lost. There is no hope for me except him. And so he is merciful and he is gracious and he saves me. There's mercy. And then the truth can really be powerful in my life. But without truth... Mercy is flippant and loose. It doesn't matter. Do as you please. Right? Well, what good is that? You just live a life of license. I can do whatever I want. God will just forgive me. That's not how it works. God's mercy and God's truth in their purest forms cannot exist as God intends, one without the other. This way God is honored and glorified and this way God uses his people to be the light of Christ in a dark world. See, the mercy, it's not just for me, but it's for my brethren. It's for the guy I meet on the street, the one who cuts me off on the road and I get angry with. It's for the guy or lady at work who just drives me crazy. The mercy of God would be seen in me so that the love and truth could be seen in me. Again, the cross. It was the physical location that Jesus offered atonement here on this earth. The work of the cross, the way of the cross. This is not just a one-time thing for us. We don't just come to receive mercy once and grace once for salvation and that's it. But this is a way of life. The cross of Christ. He wants it to have take effect, to be a constant in our lives. We think of the cross as this like terrible, horrible, hard thing, like if, oh Lord, you want me to give up this thing and it's so hard and my life's gonna be so difficult and I want it so bad. And but remember Philippians 2:13, he works in you to will and to do. There will be times where it's hard. I I, I know it. But there are going to be times where you're going to be surprised. Like, Lord, I don't, I don't want that anymore. Lord, you've changed me. Don't you realize that's the cross? Don't you see what has happened? The power of God in your life? So this morning, as you, if I just, again, these altars are open. I encourage you to come, seek the Lord. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, Whatever it is you're having a hardship with, whatever it is you just can't get victory over, maybe you're believing a lie from the enemy, I'm just not good enough. Well, none of us is good enough, but Christ in us, he is more than good enough. Come seek the Lord this morning. Come to the mercy seats. Come and receive grace. Come and receive life and power. I'm going to read through a few, uh, a number of scriptures here about mercy and truth. And just come and seek the Lord. Psalm 57, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Psalm 61, 
Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. Talks about how it will prolong the king's life. Psalm 85, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Psalm 86, but you, O Lord, are are God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. Mercy and truth preserve the king. Mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. Come this morning. Live a life that approaches, boldly approaches the throne. That that every day depends on that mercy seat. Scripture says that, that God dwelt between the cherubim above the mercy seat. You want mercy from the Lord? You want his grace? Then you go to Christ. He is the mercy seat. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. We love you, God. We thank you, Lord. We are so weak, Lord. But you are so strong. Our sin, our failures, our faults, Lord. The devil is constantly trying to remind us constantly throwing it in our face. But God, you are so much greater than all of that. You're so much more powerful than it all. God, I pray for these who have come. They're seeking you, Lord. They're seeking, coming to you, appealing to your mercy, Lord, that they may receive your grace. God, change change hearts. Cause us to walk in your statutes. Teach us your ways, Lord. Cause us to walk in your ways. God, be merciful. We need you, Lord.